Howdy y'all, personally borderline here, and I just have a little free time and a lot to say, so I thought that I would um, record Monday's audio file right now, um, because why not? The Q future, Q, yeah, the Q, queuing future on this app is a godsend, um, another reason why you should use it, shameless plug, they're not even paying me, I just think this is like really, really cool. So um, you should get the app, you should call in, you should use it, get a community, go community going. Anyway, today's video topic is therapy, and um, this is the only second episode of the podcast, and this is such a big topic to conquer that I actually want it to be the second episode because I'm inevitably going to have to do a second or a second episode on this because therapy is such a wide wide range of things so many elements go into it um and that it's just not a one topic deal we can delve back into it two three four more times especially if you if um you listeners have questions or call-ins and you reach out on the twitter or on here or on the tumblr um and not only do i need to make more episodes but i need to make response episodes as well so I wanted this to be the first because I didn't want it to be episode six or seven and then there's no more content and I'm making my second or third therapy video and instead of having them broken up by different topics, it's literally just four therapy videos in a row. So instead, we're going to do the first one now and then maybe in a month or so we'll revisit the topic and add more stuff and then go so on and so forth. Um, we have, um, well, I wouldn't say humble beginnings. I went to therapy a very, very long time ago, back when um, my parents first got divorced, back when I was in grade four, I believe, and this is like the Canadian-American education system, so if you want to look that up to see my age, grade three, grade four, maybe even younger, not older, from grades one through three, I want to say, might even have been in grade one, anyway, I went to see a therapist, apparently the therapist was like, your kid's not traumatized over this divorce proceed as normal, don't worry about it. Um, obviously I've got some problems now, but apparently I didn't have any problems then. Um, I'd seen many a social worker over the years because the divorce got not that great, but that's not only my story to share, so I might share it later on, but not, not right now. And then recently, at the end, November, December of 2016, um, was the lowest of my depression at the time and um I I wasn't ready for therapy I wasn't ready for therapy at all I knew things that were true about myself but I wasn't ready to hear someone else say it you know um kind of like if you're like oh I don't like my eye color or like that's just you talking about yourself but if someone walks up to you and they say I don't like your eye color that's offensive it's kind of like that where there are things I could say, like, I'm hard to deal with. I have issues. I'm selfish. But the moment I went to therapy and my therapist was like, you sound like you self-sabotage. I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't sabotage anything. I know my life better than you do. Um, so I definitely wasn't ready to be in therapy. therapy. However, I was increasingly and increasingly suicidal. And I was so depressed. And I felt, I felt like... I was watching a movie of myself do things. I felt like I was on autopilot, like I wasn't really present, like my body was just 
taking over, taking control and doing what it needed to do to, you know, get courses done, feed me at times, get me from point A to point B. I just felt like I was floating through life and I cared less and less. I started drinking by myself in the afternoon on weekdays on school nights. Um, I started with like half a glass of wine to a full glass of wine to a glass and a half. And Eventually, I had to stop um, on my own volition just because family members and people in my household started asking me if I was okay. And if there's, I don't know, I feel like if there's anything stronger than a mental illness temporarily, it's family scrutiny. So it makes you change your behaviors either temporarily or mask them in a different way. And I couldn't mask drinking all the alcohol in the house, so I just had to stop drinking it. Um, And then I went to my therapist and... I I was like, hey, um, this is how I've been feeling and I, I don't really know what's happening. And um, I was not 18 at the time. Well, I can tell you I was 17 because you, you'll be able to figure it out with the timeline. I was 17 at the time and I was explaining my situation and she was just saying, you know, look up generalized anxiety disorders because I have panic attacks and I have I feel sick sometimes like literally like I'm gonna vomit um and also like depressed depression and clinical depression and depressive disorders so I looked them up and she was she was telling me like you know it sounds like you might have generalized anxiety it sounds like you might have some sort of clinical depression here's what we can do to move forward and it was the last or the second last appointment I'd been to because a my insurance was running out and I'm poor, so I can pay it for it on my own. B, my life was changing um, in a certain way that I'll tell you. And C, um, I didn't find that those diagnoses fit me properly. And I didn't know about personality disorders at the time. And I couldn't have been diagnosed with personality disorder at the time because I wasn't 18. Um, but I, I didn't even know they existed but all I knew was that depression and anxiety alone felt wrong. It felt too little. It felt like it didn't touch on some of the things that I was experiencing um, just day in, day out. The way my moods would fluctuate, the way I'd feel like really, really dark and numb. And then I would just go to happy and love and everything. Um, and I didn't understand the highs and lows and I didn't think depression or anxiety really fit that. So, um, I would have even preferred to have been, I think I would even prefer to have been diagnosed with, um, with, what am I going to say? Bipolar. That's right. That's what I mean. Not preferred. Listen, I'm not going to say, I'm not sitting here. I don't want you to think that I'm someone who like researches and mental illnesses and attributes them to myself because I think they're cool, I think they're meta, and I think they're the next new thing. No, I don't want to be mentally ill. If I could enjoy things in moderation, that would be great. I'm either so obsessed with something that I can't stop talking about it, I can't stop thinking about it, I can't sleep until I experience it, or I need to desensitize myself and forcefully not allow myself to feel towards a person or an activity or an object or an event or a trip that we're planning. Um, Because 
if I do feel about it, if I do feel excited or hopeful or happy, it's, it's too much. It's too much. And so I need to, I need to numb myself. I need to dull myself because I can't enjoy things in moderation. I need to either just accept it as a thing. It comes, it doesn't have no expectations or I'm like jumping off the walls. This is the one thing on my mind. Um, and it's, it's really tiring living like that because it's really tiring not only feeling physically and chemically depressed for other reasons, but also tiring just being in the numb state all the time, having to answer questions about why you're so low, so unhappy, whatnot. Or you're literally a manic, unstable mess and everyone can see it because it's easier to just be depressing and just say, oh, I'm a depressing person than to be obsessive and then people think you're weird. Um, anyway, what was, I don't even remember what I was going off on. Anyway, my point is I saw my therapist for the first time, um, November, December. I didn't like her really. I didn't like listening to what she was saying. She's telling me the truth. I can't really say I didn't like what she's saying because it's the truth. I didn't like what she was saying at the time. Um, I didn't like, um, her, what she was diagnosing me with. Um, I couldn't relate to it. I felt like she didn't really understand me. I felt like she was a little insulting at times because there are certain things in my childhood and in my life right now that aren't really normal and are really stressful, especially for a dependent and for a child to have to bear the brunt of. Um, but I've, I've normalized a lot of my life experiences because those are what I lived. So I'd explain something that happened to me as a child and my therapist would be like, oh, that sounds pretty traumatizing or that sounds really intense. And I'm like, really? Because it was just my life. And I'd get really offended and really hurt that she was telling me that basically my life was like my childhood is my trauma and that's why I am the way I am. And I mean, it is the way that I am. And I'm very aware of it. And I was aware of it at the time. But it's one thing. It's like having a sibling, you know, I could walk up to anyone and say, my brother's this and this, my father's this and this, my mother's this and this, my dog's this and this, because it's my family. I can be like, they're great people. I can be like, they're terrible people, but I can say that because they're my family. But the moment you turn around and you're like, I don't like your dog's haircut, I'll fight you because it's my dog, not your dog. So when she was telling me about my family, it, it was one of those things where, it's, again, it's like, I can say this, but you can't say this. So I stopped going because of money, scheduling, timing, didn't have the car as much, and I also just didn't enjoy it because um, I wasn't ready for therapy. I knew I needed help because I was suicidal and I was numb and I was depressed, but I wasn't ready for what she was saying, and I also I don't think she was the right fit for me anyway. And then I got a boyfriend, which will be a completely different video at some point or completely different audio at some point. It might not even be an audio because I want to respect his privacy and if I ever reveal my identity it'll be really obvious who it is because I've only had one boyfriend um but I might give like a general gist of my reactions to the relationship but anyway I got him and basically used him I used him to work through my mental illness and I was like if we can get through this relationship and we can make it the five months or whatever because we're graduating and then going to different places um, if we can make it the five months and then stay friends after and it'd be all neutral and platonic and moderate, then I know I don't have mental illness. Obviously that didn't happen because I go freaking off the wall, which is what happened. But now I know. So I had him for a couple of 
months, not even two months, a month and three and a half weeks. And that one month was the month of February. So really it was like a month and a half, a month and a week and a half, because that month was February. Um, and he's a pretty cool dude. I wish we could be friends now, but I ruined that because that's, that's what I do. Um, so he never wants to talk to me again. Um, but I was using him to, to kind of prove to myself that I didn't have a mental illness and that all of my previous really personal relationship failings, not romantic, this is my first romantic relationship, but platonic relationship failings, was everyone else's fault and not my own fault. But fun fact, that's usually not the case. Usually if you keep losing friends or people don't like you or you keep changing jobs, no one likes you. It's because you're the problem, not everyone else. And the thing is, I kept, I have like two friends that have been my friends since childhood and you don't need 15 childhood best friends. And I have, um, I have a couple close friends from school that are recent. I think this video is just going to be about me and my therapy and not about therapy as a whole. So, um, next week might just be therapy week. This might be the Wednesday video. Anyway. Um, yeah. And I had always been the one to leave my friends. They didn't leave me. I would say uh, we'd be really, really close and I'd be really, really into them. And then they'd say something to me and I'd be like, we're done over this. My ex is the only person that I felt inclined to fight for. And he, I, I can't even tell you if he was the right person to fight for. I mean, obviously he didn't like me because we'd still be together or he didn't like me enough. But part of the reason why he didn't like me was the way I was acting because of my mental illness, which is also a part of me. So I guess you got to take the, the good with the bad. I don't, I don't really know how to assess that, but um, he was the first person I've ever felt like fighting for. So anyway, because I would leave all my friends and no one told me I had a problem. I'd tell them they had a problem then I'd go find new friends. And it's always easy for me to find new friends because I'm pretty social. I'm pretty personable. Um, I always thought either circumstances meant that we just weren't meant to be friends or it was my friends who were the problem and I didn't want to deal with them anymore and I just, they sucked. What turns out is that I suck and I just don't know how to work through things with people and we either are good or we're bad and once we're bad, we're bad for life. Um, so anyway, he and I are bad for life, I'm pretty sure. Um, which is very depressing because obsessive tendencies anyway so that was terrible and the breakup breakup was what was bad but we started out as friends after the breakout breakup and then I went off the wall as per usual and he was like no thank you and honestly now that I'm looking back and I'm depressed um and I'm not in that manic like jumping around squirrely state anymore I can see it like if, if it was me I'd be like you know thanks but no thanks I'll find some new friends that aren't like you. Um, so like three, four months after the breakup, it took me a long time to come down from that up, from that high of, oh, uh, manic stage two. And um, I went to therapy and I'm still in therapy with this therapist and she's amazing. And sometimes she's saying the same thing that my first therapist was saying, um, but sometimes... 
it's the person too. I, I feel like she listens to me. I feel like she's calming. I feel like she understands. I feel like I don't feel insulted, although I acknowledge that me feeling insulted previously wasn't because the therapist was insulting me. It was just because I wasn't ready to hear the truth of what she was had, had to say from someone that wasn't my own head. Um, but I just, I receive all of the messages from this therapist much more constructively than I did the previous one. And we're working through things and um, she's great. So I think this is just a story of like, I don't really know what the purpose was. The first segment of this was supposed to be my journey with therapy, and I guess I can't just fit it into five minutes. So this whole thing is just going to be my journey with therapy, I suppose. Um, so I'm going to have another video on just the concept of therapy, and this is just my story with... If there's anything I want you to take from this, it's that... Um, what do I want you to take from this? It's that... Sometimes you'll, therapy is not just a one and done. It's not a one session and you're cured. It's not a one therapist and you're on your way to recovery. Therapy, like doctors or teachers or friends or teammates or anyone else, therapists are people too. And I mean, they have a code of ethics. Obviously, they were trained, but they also have their way of doing things. And um, it's important to know that sometimes it's not therapy that's the problem. It's your therapist that's the problem in the sense that if you don't feel like you're being listened to, if you don't feel comfortable, if you don't feel happy or you don't like, I'm not happy to go to therapy. I'm not jumping for joy to pay $200 to have someone tear apart my life and tell me that I'm mentally ill. But coming back from my first therapist and being like, yeah, I went to therapy. It was okay. And coming back from the therapist I have now where I came home and I was like, oh my gosh, it was completely different. Completely everything changed. Um, I felt listened to. I felt heard. I felt like it was constructive. I felt like I'm moving into a right place. I felt like she gets me. Feel like your therapist gets you. And if you don't feel like your therapist gets you, don't think that it's therapy that doesn't get you. And it might just be your therapist that doesn't get you. And there's nothing wrong with changing therapists. Now, if you don't think your therapist gets you because they say you're schizophrenic or you're bipolar or you're OCD or you have anxiety or you have depression or, you know, your mom was abusive, your dad was this, it was not healthy for you to be locked in the closet for five hours a day or whatever, that didn't happen to me. This is just the examples coming to my head. Those might just be hard truths that you need to swallow, things that you've normalized or overlooked that you need to realize were problems. But if you literally just feel like I'm not being listened to or not being heard, um, find, feel free to find someone else. And even if you are diagnosed and you're like, hmm, I'm not sure if this is the right thing, get a second opinion. I got a second opinion and now I'm great with my therapist. However, if you've got a second opinion or third opinion and everyone's, and they don't work together and they're from two different um two different offices and they don't even know who they are and everyone's just kind of saying this is what I diagnosed you with and they're all on the same page it might just be time to face the flowers and maybe you are this and maybe you're not what you thought you were and some that's that's a part of life and that's a part of change and that's a part of mental illness because a lot of mental illnesses can be quote-unquote cured in the sense that you can be in quote-unquote recovery because it's mental most of the time these things are always present in your 
brain right now, the prime examples I can think of are BPD and eating disorders in the sense that you can recover from BPD, you can recover from an eating disorder where you can kind of learn to manage your symptoms to the point where they're not present anymore so you don't quote unquote have the ED. Um, uh, and you know, you're living normally, but you, you'll always have the illness because it'll always be in the back of your mind. You know, every time you open the fridge and you see something and it's something that you, it's slice of cake or an apple and you really research the amount of calories in an apple. And the first thing that comes to your head is blank. Or if you have BPD and you're in a new relationship after a really, really long time and you know, everything's been going good. And then the person just like looks tired one day. Um, and you know that they just started a new job or someone in their family sick or something, but you can't help but think that it's you and you did something wrong. It's therapy helps because now you're aware of what you have and you have coping mechanisms, but that doesn't mean that those symptoms go away. It's just, you learn to cope with them to the point where they're not present enough for you to be diagnosed anymore because everyone has their quirks. The problem with the good and bad thing about mental illness is that most people Everyone has all of the attributes of everyone's, of all mental illnesses. No one wants to be abandoned. No one wants to feel left out. Everyone's a little bit self-interested, a little narcissistic. Everyone's a little selfish. Mental illness is just when it's, everyone gets sad sometimes. Everyone gets anxious. Depression and feeling depressed are different. Anxiety and feeling anxious are different. And you cannot have anxiety and feel anxious. And you cannot have clinical depression but feel depressed because, your feelings are valid, and if you feel a certain way, then you just feel a certain way. Um, and I hate when people are like, you can't be depressed without depression. However, um, every, yeah, everyone has the symptoms and the attributes of all these different mental illnesses. But a mental illness just means that you're, you're to the nth degree. If there's a spectrum of feeling sad if like sad's on the left side and ecstatics on the right side and everyone's just kind of like in the middle to like the first quarter and the third quarter and they just kind of wave in between depending on if someone's died or if they got married mentally ill people are like at the far left end at the far right end and they need to learn how to bring it back into that middle and bring it back into that moderate so it's nice because people can relate it's hard though also because you get a lot of people where you say, I'm so depressed that I can't get out of bed. And I don't really see any worth in my life. And I, do, I don't get why I'm doing it. And you say to a friend and a friend says, well, I was depressed and it went away. And now well, like, I'm, I'm living my life. I'm loving life. And it's like, yes, I, I know. Um, we were both depressed. You understand what it feels like to be depressed. But you don't understand what it feels like to not physically be capable of getting out of it. Um, and because it's all mental, a lot of people think you just need to say a couple self-affirmations and do a couple jumping jacks in the morning and then you're fine and ready to go. Um, and that's, that's not always the case. Um, it, it really isn't. So, um, that's, so, and then you also get people who just experience regular, they, they get anxious, they get depressed. Um, and then they look for something that's wrong because they might have a really bad anxiety spell at one point, you know, maybe 
they, I don't know, they have a really big presentation. Like they usually don't have problems with presentations, but the, today is the first day they're presenting in front of their new boss and half the company and they can't stop shaking and they haven't been able, been able to stop shaking for the past couple weeks. And they look it up and bam, I have anxiety now. I mean, you might, um, but you might just be having a regular neurotypical reaction to just a regular stress that has been going on for a while because you've had to prepare for this thing and plan this thing and think about it for a really long time. And that's also the problem with mental illness, like something like cancer. I can't just walk into the office and say, a doctor's office and say, my stomach's been hurting for a month. I have a stomach ulcer or a tumor in my stomach because they can easily take an MRI and say, I don't know, stop eating candy. You don't have a tumor. Or they can make it and take an MRI and they can say, oh, there's a huge tumor. We need to operate right now. But with mental illness, I mean, they've done studies where the brains of depressed people look like this and they're larger in this area and blah, blah, blah. But generally, if you've felt anxious once in your life and it's the first time and you run into your doctor's office, you're like, I have anxiety. I need pills. Um, there's no fail-safe test, really, that says your your anxiety disorder, not just your feeling of anxiousness, anyone's feelings are valid, but I can't sit here and say you don't you're you don't have a anxiety disorder or you do have an anxiety disorder based on some arbitrary test or based on a brain scan or an MRI or something, compared to someone who's like, I've been throwing up three times a week every week for the past five years and every time I leave my house I shake because I I don't know what's outside my front door. Both of those are feelings of anxiety. They're vastly different feelings of anxiety, but the person who's shaking all the time, it's very likely that they do, but they might not even have an anxiety disorder. Maybe they just got a neighbor that lives next to them, and um, for the couple years that the neighbors live next to them, they just don't know how to cope for whatever reason. Maybe they have tattoos, maybe they have large dogs, and that person's afraid of dogs, and that's causing them constant anxiety, and the moment they take themselves out of that situation, it's gone fine, whatever. Whereas the one person who has one panic attack once in their life is predisposed for anxiety. And the panic attack came from just their body malfunctioning and making them feel panicked and not for any real reason. Um, I don't even know where this is going, but my point is my experience with therapy at the end of the day was very productive. And I think that you need to give therapy a try and keep trying even if it doesn't work out the first time or the second time or even the third time because there's a therapist out there for you and there's a treatment out there for you and your feelings are valid, but they can't be validated if you don't speak on them. And that's it. I think I went a little over in time for the last one, so I'm just going to say, again, therapy is important, you're valid, your feelings are valid, um, even if you can't speak on those feelings, or no, your feelings are valid, everything's valid, um, you just need to go seek the help that you need. Um, and that's the end of this, that's my kind of TLDR version of therapy, I might do another video because or audio because I meant for this to be much shorter so I could do the other points and then it became very very long um so yeah stay classy and I'll see y'all later